in the book of Romans, and uh, today I want to do a, one other message on Romans chapter 2, and while you're finding that, uh, let me uh, just remind everybody or announce to everybody that if you would like to join us at the Mother Church Wednesday night at uh, 7 p.m., we will be uh, studying the seven signs in the Gospel of John. He builds his book around seven main miracles with a teaching on each one. So we will be doing that this coming Wednesday night at 7 on, uh, at Bristol Road. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Let me just begin by reading verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul is wanting to visit Rome he said in chapter 1, verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Uh, he couldn't wait to get there. He'd never been there before. And he begins his letter to the Romans to kind of prepare the way. And he starts it out in chapter 1 by pointing out some of the obvious sins in Rome. He points out in chapter 1, verse 23 idolatry he points out in chapter 1 verse 26 lesbianism he points out in chapter 1 verse 27 men having sex with other men he points out in chapter 1 and verse 29 he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, including murder and strife, chaos. He says, the Roman society has hit rock bottom in chapter 1, verse 32, when he says that they not only approve of all these things, but they celebrate those who join them in practicing these sins. So it is an obvious that the society of Romans chapter 1 needs the gospel. But then in chapter 2, he takes a different tone. He says, and you have no excuse, O man, if you judge you look down on them, the ones in chapter 1. It's easy to judge. And sometimes we who feel like we have the moral high ground can become so focused on the sins of the sinners that we forget to focus on the grace of the Savior. Our focus is to be set on Christ 
not on society. If you focus on the sins of others, you will ultimately feel superior and forget that you have your own set of sins, pride being one of them. I pointed out last week there are some main differences between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1 seems to be to the Gentile society of Rome. Chapter 2 seems to be to the Jew. He even mentions the Jew in verse 17. To the Jew, he says. Can you give me that uh, little contrast between chapter 1? In chapter 1, we notice that, and this is in chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. It's, you can already see the wrath of God by He lets them go. He let, turns them over to all these things. But in chapter 2, there's a day of judgment coming. Chapter 2 and verse 5 you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. That's a future day. So that's a difference in chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 1, they're ignorant of God's law. In chapter 2, they consider themselves teachers of the law. He says in verse 17, you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law. Verse 18, you approve what is excellent. You're instructed from the law. But chapter 1, they don't know the law. And in chapter 1, he calls them they. If you'll notice chapter 1, verse 20, the last phrase, they are without excuse. Chapter 1, verse 21, they, although they knew of God, they did not honor him. Chapter 1, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Chapter 1, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. But then when you get to chapter 2, he changes to the second person. And he says, you. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you. Who judges? Verse chapter two, verse three. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge practice such things will that you will escape the judgment? Chapter two, verse four. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? So, what's the significance of that? Well, if I'm preaching, and remember, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And most of the early churches used to be synagogues. And the majority of the Jewish people in those synagogues, when they would believe in Jesus as Messiah, then they would accept Christ and they would become a church. So he, so he had a lot of Jewish Christians, at least professed Christians. But he also had a lot of Jews who had not yet become Christians. And he's writing and he's, he's showing the distinction between they, they, the, all those in San Francisco. 
and all those in New York City and all those people. And he says, but you, when, see, he's talking to church members. Those outside the church, oh boy, they're in trouble. But you who judge, that means you know right from wrong. You have a sense of justice. And so he's going to turn his attention in chapter 2 to the people who know better and look down on others, especially with the grosser sins. And he's going to say, those in chapter 2, they need the gospel as much as those in chapter 1. Amen? Do church members, people who've been brought up in church, who know the Bible... You don't believe in evolution. You believe in creation. Do you need the gospel? Look down at chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Look at this verse. All who have sinned. See, he's talking to those who are inside all the you. All of us who have sinned, he says, without the law will perish without the law. And those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In other words, if, if you're ignorant, God will factor in your ignorance when you stand before him. You weren't raised in a Christian home. You've never read the Bible. No, no pastor handed you a Bible when you were a teenager. So you will be judged without, there will be a, an element of mercy granted. But if you know the law, you will be judged according to the level of light that you have. In other words, Paul is saying those inside will be, their judgment will be worse. They need the gospel even more than those in chapter 1. Now that's something to ponder. And let me just point out, he says, all of sin without the law will perish without the law. I do want to, you to notice that they still perish. Amen? They still perish. But they perish without that high standard. Now, Jesus talked about this under the symbols of a master and his slaves. Rome was full of slaves. Some people say that half of Rome was slaves because they had conquered so many nations. And so in Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48, Jesus compares his second coming to that time when a master calls his servants to him. Luke 12, 47, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to it will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know, verse 48, 
and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a lighter beating. For to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus is saying the same thing as, as Paul is here in Romans 2. If you have been given greater light, you will be given greater liability on the day of judgment. And he says, he concludes it in Romans 2.13 by saying, For it is not the hearers of the law that are righteous before God, but doers of the law will be justified. He's putting a theoretical person up here. He's saying, it's not just because you have the law, but do you do it? And because that was the, this is the typical Jewish stance, that if we keep the law, if we have it and do it, then on that day, we will be justified before God. But remember what Paul is doing. He's telling them why he wants to preach the gospel to them. In chapter 1, it's because they, they desperately need it. In chapter 2, they may not think they do, but they have greater light, so they need it even more. So he says, I'm so eager to get there and preach the gospel to both of you, both groups, the, those inside and those outside. Romans 3, 19 and 20, Paul says, Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. See, the Jew thought that if I can, and he mentions this in, in chapter 2, verse 13, if I can just keep the law, I'll be justified. But Paul said, no one keeps the law perfectly. In fact, the higher your standards, the greater your light, the greater will be your condemnation, the more severe the beating, the punishment, the judgment. So Paul is saying there's no further uh, point to make in regarding the need for the gospel. It's both inside and it's outside. Jesus said to the Jews in John 7, 19, he said, Hasn't Moses given you the law, but none of you keeps the law? Jesus even brought it up in the seventh chapter of John. No one keeps the law. So if the grosser sinners of chapter 1 are lost, and it's obvious... And the enlightened sinner of chapter 2 is lost, and it's worse. Then why not despair? Uh, put Romans 3.21 up, because here is where Paul is headed with this. But now, and by now he means since Christ came and died on a cross and rose again. The righteousness of God, His righteous requirements, has been revealed and it's received apart from the law. Hello. I could get into a righteousness like that. It's received apart and, and it's actually without a law, any law. 
You mean there's a righteousness that I, I don't perform? There's a righteousness that's apart from the Ten Commandments that is simply received by faith? Hey, I'm liking Paul. I'm liking me some gospel. <laughs> it is revealed as received apart from the law even a righteousness of God which comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sin and fall short of the glory. See, that's where he's come to now. All have sin. Those inside, those outside, desperately. Those who think those outside are worse, they need it the most. And it comes to us in Jesus Christ as an alternative to, to these awful guilt and condemnation religions. Praise God. So I don't have to focus on my sin. I don't have to focus on your sin. We can all focus on the grace of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a good time if I wanted to run a little bit. This would be a good time to display my emotion. But I'm going to bring it in. <laughs> Besides that, I can't run that well. Let me take the remainder of my time and just give you some, some questions that Romans 2 wants us to ask ourselves. As I was just reading through, I want to finish Romans 2 today. So here's some questions. Has there come a time in your life where you saw yourself as a sinner? See, and now Paul's wanting to know, he's wanting to show the people in Romans chapter 2 that they need Jesus Christ and the gospel. So the question he would put before us, have we seen ourselves as sinners or do we see ourselves as better? Do we see ourselves as superior? Jews, especially the Pharisees, did not believe they were born sinful. They believed others were. John 9, 33 and 34, he's, uh, he says... That Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth and the Pharisees brought him in front of them and they were questioning because they were skeptical and this man said I don't know what to tell you once I was blind but now I see and they said you were born in sin John nine thirty four. And are you trying to teach us? So they cast him out of the synagogue. You were born in sin. Look at you. See, the Jews never had that sense of sin. They had the law. They had the scriptures. They had circumcision, the sign of the covenant. 
But as Isaiah put it, after seeing the Lord high and lifted up, he said, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. In fact, Paul says in Romans 3.14, the whole point of the law was to reveal the knowledge of sin, to prepare for the coming of the Savior who would die on the cross for our sin. The whole point of the law was to show the knowledge of sin, Romans 3.14. I used to tell the story when I was in school in Fort Worth and a, there was a guy in my class he sat right behind me, and he, he had a beard, pretty good beard, came down. And uh, one day he tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around. And when I turned around, he had a big gob of yellow egg all encrusted in his beard. I was totally grossed out. <laughs> and I thought, did he not look in the mirror? Does he not have a mirror? That's the purpose of the law. Now, the, the mirror, a mirror cannot wash you, but it can show you your need for washing. And that's what the law does. And Jesus, in John 9, healed that blind man to illustrate men are born blind spiritually, and it is a miracle if God has shown you your wicked heart. It's a miracle. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who could understand it? Jeremiah 17 says. So that's one question. Have I seen myself as a sinner? Ask yourself that. In need of absolute mercy. Another question. How is God's reputation in my life? Let's start, let's read verse, chapter 2, verse 17. See, he, remember, he's trying to show them that they need the gospel here in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 17. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on law and boast in God, you know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. And if you're sure you're a guide to the blind and a light to those in darkness, verse 20 an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Verse 21, You who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Yet you who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Verse 23, You boast in the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it, as it is written. Verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. The name of God is brought down. It is, he is defamed because of your brand of religion. And so I would ask you, how is God's reputation is he glorified in your life, your speech, your relationships, your finances? Would your wife and children affirm your faith and love to God? This, is, this gives us cause to think, am I truly born again? Have I truly embraced Christ alone as my only hope? Here's a third question. 
Am I depending on outward symbols and rituals rather than a changed heart? Look at verse 25. He says, circumcision is a value if you obey the law, but if you break it, circumcision is just uncircumcision. Now, the Jew, For the Jew, circumcision was the big deal. It was the initial entrance. But he says, if you are circumcised, but you just continue to disobey God, you're just like the uncircumcised. The Jews were so strong on circumcision that they believed that every circumcised Jew who, who appeared at the gates of hell, Abraham himself was there to turn them aside and take them back to heaven. That's how strong they felt that circumcision would help you. We, 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 sometimes we do it with baptism or we can do it with coming forward or we can do it with church membership or confirmation classes. But what is it, he says? It's just an outward ritual. It's an external thing. And, and he, Paul makes one of the most amazing evaluations of Judaism in verse 28 and 9. He says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Uh, my kids always get nervous when I start talking about circumcision. They, they think I'm going to pull up a PowerPoint presentation. But circumcision was just the sign that you were in the covenant with God. And he says, true circumcision is not outward and physical. But verse 29, a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is of the heart by the spirit. In other words, your heart has been cut. You've been cut inside and you have felt a quickening in your heart as you have considered your eternal destiny without Christ and without God. And so he says, the true Jew, his praise is not from man, but God. So the fourth question is, whose approval do you seek? Notice the ending there. His praise is not from man, it is from God. I know that sometimes we think these things are not that vital. Oh, my dear friend. As I go through this and I'm looking at this, this is convicting to me. And I desperately will pray, God, don't let me lead people wrong on this. You know, every day we get up. And as Lamentations 3 says, uh, His mercies are new every morning. Amen? Every day. There's so many mercies. But the moment you die without Christ, all mercies cease. There is no mercy beyond death's door for those who are not truly born of the Spirit, born again. In Luke 16, that I just read this morning, a rich man dies. His life had been full of mercy. Wealth, health, riches, prosperity, the rich man died and he went to hell. And you know what the first thing he asks as he cries out in hell? 
first thing. He looks at the heavenly city and the, the, the chosen people of God and he sees Abraham and he cries out, Abraham, have mercy upon me. Send someone with one drop of water. One drop. That's all I ask. I just ask for a mercy of one drop of water. And Abraham says, there's a great chasm between us. Once you enter the judgment without Christ, there is not one drop of mercy. But oh, dear friend, for those who humbly, with sincerity, come to God through the Savior, Jesus Christ, asking forgiveness, pleading that they have nothing to offer except a simple prayer, and they embrace Christ by faith, there is mercy forever. And that's what I urge upon you today. Take no risk with your soul, is my prayer. Ushers, you come. Let's worship God now as we conclude with our tithes and our offerings. And let me lead you in, in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, for each of us here today, my prayer is that all of us will join together in saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. My only hope, the only Savior of the world, in Him I trust, in whose name we pray, amen.